The book of John, the gospel of John tonight, chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be this evening. Thank you again for being here tonight. John chapter 15, we're going to look at one verse, and this verse is going to kind of jump off my thought for tonight, if you'll let me. Uh, I'm going to read one verse to you, and, I, and, I, and, I, and hopefully it'll be a blessing. Uh, but I want to preach this, this, this thought we've been kind of, kind of dealing with around this idea. And I'm going to wrap up this series tonight with this, with, this, with this last thought. And can I tell you something? It's a very important thought, I think. Not because I think it is, but because the Word of God makes, makes it important. And in the day and age we live in, can I tell you, this, this, this idea has been completely, completely counterfeited by the devil of what we're going to talk about tonight. And I want to just share some thoughts with you if I can. Uh, John 15 and verse number 15, let's read one verse and we'll pray. Just Says this. Now, if you're like me, my, 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 my gospel, my gospel of John chapter 15, is pretty much an entire red letter, red letter text, which means if, if you got if you got a red letter edition Bible like I do, these are the words of Jesus that he's speaking. And Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples as he is as he is on his way to uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. There was this there was this trail that he took from the upper room down to the Garden of Gethsemane that led him through the Kidron Valley. And as he's traveling through the kid to the through the Kidron Valley down to the Garden of Gethsemane, he has his last conversation that he's going to have with his disciples before Calvary, before he's arrested. This is the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he was arrested and, 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 and until after he had been resurrected. And But the Bible says this, John 15, verse 15, here's what he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends." For all things that I have heard of, my fa- heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd help us now as we look at your word. Lord, I, I beg you, would you please help me preach your word tonight. God, I don't want to get involved in opinion. I don't want to get involved in ideas. I don't want to get involved in, in preferences. Lord, I want to be straight from your word tonight. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I added it up, and I think this is my seventh and final message from a series of messages, messages I've entitled Identity Theft. And, and, and the whole idea behind this series has been to speak to us about, about being sure that the life you and I live is authentic to the Word of God. You know, we, we, we understand when I say identity theft, we know what that means because we hear about it all the time, whether it be from people who have had their financial or personal identity stolen, whether it be from advertisements on television telling you and I about these services that, that, that companies offer to protect you and I from identity theft. I mean, I think even some companies now as part of your benefit package, if you have benefits at your company, there's an identity theft protection inside of that benefit package. I mean, the world is doing its best to, to protect itself from identity theft, and yet every 20 seconds somebody in this world has their identity stolen. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that is the fact of the matter is, is that while while we may have financial identities or even personal identities, one of the greatest identities that is under attack today is our spiritual identity. Boy, can I just remind you that the devil always has a counterfeit for what God has a plan for. God always gave, God gave you and I His Son. Well, the devil's going to offer to you and I one day His the, the Antichrist. I mean, the, the devil always has a counterfeit, including the life you and I live. 
And we've done our best to take all of the different identities that we have and, and, and look at the Bible and try to see what the Bible has to say when it comes to our identities. We started, first of all, talking about the most important of all of our identities, and that's our Christian identity. And can I just say, our Christian identity is not wrapped up in what, the, what, 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 what man may say. It's not wrapped up in what, what the fad of the day is. It's not wrapped up in what our own preferences or our, our own opinions are. Our Christian identity is found straight and strictly from the Word of God. One of the great distinctives of being a Baptist. And if you're here tonight, you're in a Baptist church. And I don't apologize for it. I don't back up on it. I'm a Baptist, friend. But one of the things about being a Baptist is that we believe that the Bible is the sole authority for our life. It's not the Bible and some 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 authors some authors ten steps to self help to self help. It's not the Bible and what your mama has to say. It's not the Bible and what your in laws have to say. It's not the Bible and what your friends have to say. It's the Bible, friend. That's the authority of our life. And can I just say, we have our Christian identity has come under attack. I mean, it's under attack from things outside of the church house. I mean, our Christian identity, is we, we live in a day and age where people say that you can just do what you want, go where you want, be what you want, say what you want, wear what you want, and you're a Christian, friend. But my Bible doesn't say that. There's some things that make up a Christian, and I know, we. Man, I'm not even mad at y'all. I love y'all, and I'm, I'm already on fire. I'm already on it tonight. Uh, but we, we live in a day and age where people just, they, they, they want to excuse away a lifestyle that's so anti-God and anti-Bible, but still want to live under the umbrella of being a Christian. And friend, it's just not that way. Sold us a counterfeit on that. Can I tell you, not only do we have to worry about what's going on outside the church, but can I just tell you, there's some things we've got to worry about inside the church when it comes to our Christianity as well. Well, think about that, 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 that older brother who stole, stayed home and that prodigal son when he came back. Now, I'm glad the, product, the, the, the older brother was faithful. I'm glad the older brother, I'm glad the older brother stuck around and, and worked for his father. But man, he did not have the right kind of spirit, did he? He was bitter and complaining. And he, was, and he, and he, and he carried hard feelings in his heart. And can I tell you something? Bitterness, hard feelings, complaining, gossip, all those things, they're not a part of the identity as well. And listen, at the end of the day, the world's not going to care about the, 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 the title we give ourselves as Christians until you and I. And we make that in life. And we become Christians. We take on the reality of what it means to be a Christian. Well, the second thing we talked about was talked about the second of our identities that's just as important, and that's being a spouse. Oh, can I tell you something, friend? The devil has sold us a bill of goods on what it means to be a spouse in this day and age, does it not? And can I just remind you, our Bible makes it very clear that to be a spouse means to understand the roles that God has placed in our life. The husband's the head of the home, and, 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 he, and, and the wife is to submit herself to her husband. The, the husband's to love his wife as life loves the church. I mean, there are roles that God has designated, and can I just remind you and I as men, and I preach a lot to men about this because I, I is one, but I want to remind you and I as men that our identity, uh, our, 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 that outside of our Christian life, there is no greater responsibility you and I have than that responsibility we have to our spouse. I mean, friend, can I just tell you, we get messed up on that a lot. A lot of times our professions take a, take a priority over our spouse. A lot of times our children can take a priority over our spouse. But friend, hear me. The Bible makes it clear. It is our Christian life, then it's our spouse. Well, then thirdly, we talked about being a parent. And what it meant to be a parent. Then we talked about what it meant to be a child. 
Well, last week we talked about what it meant to be a laborer from the Word of God. Well, tonight as I wrap this last thought off, I'm gonna, I want to talk about, what it, about this thought. What does a biblical friend look like? What does it really mean to be a friend? You know, I read this, I read this article that was written in 2016 from the New York Post, and they released an article titled this, Nobody Has Real Friends Anymore. Now, what they found is this, is that in this day and age of social media, in this day and age of being completely connected at any given time, and this day and age of being able to whip out your phone and, and, and being able to, to, to see what's going on in everybody's life because everybody posts way too much personal stuff about their life on social media. I mean, you, we're so connected, and yet we're so very, very distant. You know, we live in a day and age now where, where friendship is not measured by those around you. Friendship is measured by how many friends you have on your friend list on social media. But can I tell you something? In all of this, all of this, all of this, all of this uh, connected world we have has created, created a reality that nobody seems to really have friends anymore. You know, I, 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 what I've learned, I'm not old, but I'm getting older, but I have learned this, is that acquaintances are many. But friendships are few. We, but can I tell you something? There is a great counterfeit in this world, especially in, especially in our, from, 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 from Christians, about what it means to be a true and real friend. I like this verse in John 15, 15. Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples, and we're, we're his disciples. He said this, I don't call you servants anymore. Now think about this. For, for three plus years, Jesus has, 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 has had, had these men, these 12 men at this time, it was 11 men, who have walked with him. They've seen him perform miracles. They have, they have, they have heard his words as he's preached. And at those times, they, they served Jesus. Jesus was their master, and they served him. They made sure he was taken care of. They, 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 they did their best to provide for the needs he had, and they served Jesus. But Jesus said this on the way to the Kidron Valley. He said this, I don't call you servants anymore. Jesus said this, I call you friends. And he said this, because the servants only obey the master. They have no idea what it is the master really, what the, they, they don't know the intention of the heart of the master. They just know that the master says, go and do. And so they obey and do what the master says. He said this, but I've made all things clear to you. I have preached the truth to you. You know my heart. You know what my desire is. He said, and because of that, because I've revealed all things to you, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Now, I like that. Now, Abraham was called the friend of God. I like that. He had a close relationship with God. But can I tell you something? This, this makes it known to me that you and I are friends of God as well. Well, I like that thought. Jesus is not only my master. He's not only my savior. He's not only my comforter. He's also my friend. But can I tell you something? The Bible has an awful lot to say about real, true friendship. And I want to share just three thoughts with you if I can. Now, I want to, I, again, I want to be honest with the, I want to be true with the Bible tonight. I want to say right what the Word of God is. And I want to, I want to just, I, but I want us to know, what does it mean to really, 
be a friend. Let's talk about a few things, okay? First of all, let's talk about what I'm going to call the commonality of friendship. The commonality of friendship. Now, here's what I mean. Friendship, all friendship is based on some common, some common experience or some common hobby or some common like. But can I tell you, when it comes to Bible-based friendship, when it comes to friendships that honor God, can I tell you what ought to be, what ought to be the, the common ground for our friendships now that we are that now that we're Christians, it's our salvation. It's the gospel. The common ground for our friendships now is not based off of my hobbies or my likes or my interests. The common ground for my friendships now is simply bound in the gospel. I have been saved. I heard the good news about how Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I, on that good day some 17 years ago, I hit my knees in my apartment. I looked toward heaven and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And by his good grace, he saved me. But can I tell you that he gave me, when he did that, he didn't just give me a home in heaven. He just didn't give me eternal life. He didn't just give me forgiveness, forgiveness for my sins. He also placed me inside of a family, a great family of born-again believers. And that now becomes the common ground for my friendships. Can I tell you why? Because, because when I find myself befriending befriending people who live outside of the great common ground of the gospel, I find myself on a very dangerous ground. Now, you've heard this. You've heard this, and maybe, 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 maybe you haven't, and I'll tell you now so you can't have heard it. There's a great statement that, this, that, that, that says this. You are now, or you soon will be, those people you spend time with. Now, we said it where I grew up, up in the country, in the mountains. We said it like this. If you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get up with the fleas. Right? That means this. Who you associate with is going to, is going to tell, me, tell me an awful lot about your future. You know, can I just tell you something? You know, the Bible makes it clear about that. I like over there in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. It just says this. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Now, that sounds good. But it goes on to say this. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now, what does that verse say? Well, it says this. If you walk with wise people, if you spend time with good people, time with godly people, if you spend time with holy people, good news, you're going to be wise, you're going to be godly, you're going to be holy, but if you spend your time with people who are ungodly, unholy, wicked, profane, rebellious, bad news is, you're the fool and your end is already laid out, you're going to be destroyed. Oh friend, can I tell you, can I tell you what the great lie of the devil is in our day and age? devil is this, is that you can hang out with anybody, be around anybody, be friends with everybody, because it's all okay, because, because, it, because the gospel, the great fact that you've been saved, it it's, it's not the common ground for friendship, it's whatever your interests are, whatever you like to do, whatever your hobbies are, but friend, can I tell you, the Bible makes it clear, it's just not that way, now hear me, I'm not saying we walk around and we be, we be, we be prideful in our salvation, I'm not saying we walk around and we become isolationists and we have nothing to do with the lost world, oh no. I'm saying this, you and I can be friendly, but not friends. I can love everybody. I can be kind to everybody. I can, be, I can do my best to help anybody. But when it comes to real, true friendship, when it comes to me giving my heart, giving myself to invest my life into somebody and have somebody invest their life into me, the common ground for that is this. Are they saved and do they love Jesus? Can I tell you, can I, can I give you a Bible example of, how, of, how, of, of this truth? David, King David, he had many sons. 
Well, David, one of David's sons, his name was Absalom. Uh, um, I'm sorry, his, 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 his name was Amnon. And Amnon had, while he had many sons, he had a daughter whose name was Tamar. And for some crazy reason, Amnon got it in his mind that he wanted, he wanted to be with Tamar. He wanted to marry Tamar. How crazy and wicked and messed up is that? But here Amnon is. He, 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 he began to lust after his, his stepsister Tamar. And, and he, began, he was so caught up in that lust that it began to make him physically ill as he thought about it day and night and day and night. Well, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, it says this, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. And listen, Jonadab was not a good friend. Jonadab was a wicked friend. And Jonadab came to Hamnon and he said, Listen, Hamnon, you're the son of a king. If you want her, you should have her. And he implanted into Amnon's mind a, a, a plan to, so that Amnon could have to could, could get what he wants and have an illicit relationship with his half-sister, Tamar. Friend, can I tell you, it's a t- you can go read that story in 2 Samuel 13. I'm not going to do it tonight. It is a sad story, a terrible story, a heartbreaking story that not only ends with, 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 with Tamar running to her, father in tears because of what her half-brother did, but then Absalom getting mad and going out and killing and killing his half-brother Amnon. And I'll tell you where it all started. It started with a terrible thought, but then secondly it started with a terrible friend. Because Amnon, Amnon had himself a friend whose name was Jonadab. And Jonadab was like every friend that you, that like, like, was, was the kind of friend that the world says you and I should have. The kind of friend who'd come to say, yeah, hey man, it don't matter. You want to do it, go ahead and do it. Do what you want, have fun, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just do what you want. Go do it and have, have a good time. That's the kind of friend that Jonadab was. And in the end, it cost Amnon his life. Why? Because he had the wrong kind of friend. Friend, can I tell you, you and I in our day and age, listen, you and I as God's people, we have got to be very careful about the people we let influence our lives. And the common ground for that ought to be this. Are they saved? The common ground is, do, uh, the common ground for our friendships now is the gospel. Can I tell you something? I remember, I remember when I got saved. I remember those people I hung out with before I got saved, Brother Shane, that I thought were my friends. I mean, they didn't mind going and hanging out with me at night, doing things I ought not be doing. While I'm out there hanging out with them, my wife and my baby are at home. They didn't mind hanging out with me, with, 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 with me then. They didn't mind, you know, they didn't mind when we went out and had a good time and we, 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 we lost our minds and did things we ought not do. They enjoyed me then. But when I got saved, something changed. You know, now, now you know, they, instead of hanging out with them, I'm like, well, I'm going to go home to my family. I'm going to church. You want to come to church with me, go right ahead. But those friends now are no longer a part of my life. Can I tell you why? Because the common ground of that friendship has now changed. It's different I, I don't I don't understand I don't understand Christian people who can be friends with the world. I don't understand people Christian people who can love the world. The Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. The Bible says to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man, any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, friend, tell me, how in the world can you and I be friends with a world, with people who love the worldly things, with people who want to do ungodly and wicked things? How can we find ourselves in friendship with them? Because the end result of that is this. 
You're going you're gonna to go their way. You know, let me see if I can show you this. David, wake up. Come here. Come here. Yes. No. Not, no, not that David. My David. Hustle. Hustle. All right. <clears throat> All the way up here. Hurry, man. I only got 30 minutes to preach. Would you hustle, please? All right. Y'all know my son David. All right. Let's say this. Now, here, here's how most people think. All right? Stand right there. Okay? Here's how most of us think. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. Listen, I, I have been pulled out of the miry clay of my sin. God set my feet on a solid rock. He established my going. But then I find myself with somebody, a friend who's, I find myself in friendship with somebody who's lost, who's a sinner, who lives for, who lives for the world, lives for their own pleasure. And here's what the devil tells you and I. Here's what he says. Be their friend. It's okay. You may be able to pull them up. So here's, but here's what I've learned. You ready? Listen, I could, I could do my best. What are you at, like a buck 20? Okay, buck 50. Good night, man. Get a diet. <clears throat> I could do my best. This is, this, is, this, is, this is David. He's a sinner. He's lost. And listen, he's not just lost and looking. He's lost and rebellious. He's loving his sin. He's living in his sin. But he's my friend. But I tell myself, it's going to be okay. It'll be fine. I can win him. I can do it. So I find myself with him, with him, holding hands with him, thinking I can pull him up. I can, I can pull him up. But friend, as much as I want to pull, good gracious, man, you are solid. I can't pull him up. But can I tell you something? Now be careful with me. I'm old. I'm old. Be careful. It just takes a little bit of pulling from him, and he can, he can pull me down. Pull me down. It's a whole lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. Thank you, buddy. You did good. Come on, double your allowance. Zero times two. Add it up. <clears throat> But can I tell you something? Why do we, why do we believe that? Why, do we, why does the devil let us believe that? Why have, we, why have we let the devil convince you and I that we can put a hand down there to the world that, 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 slay, that slew our Savior, that laughs at our Bible, that laughs at our standards, that hates who we are and hates our God? Why has he said, convinced you and I, it's okay to reach down there and befriend that world? A companion of fools shall be destroyed, the Bible said we got to be careful. There's a commonality to Bible friendships. Now, don't walk out of here thinking I'm telling you to go out there and put your, put your spiritual nose up in the air and look down on everybody. I'm not saying that. Love everybody. Be kind to everybody. Listen, listen. Every person you and I meet is a soul that Jesus Christ died for. And I'd hate to think because of my prideful spiritual life that turned their back on my Savior. I love anybody. I will try to do my best to do anything for anybody. But as far as being a friend, my common ground for friendship is the gospel. It's the gospel. There's the commonality of friendship. But can I also say this? There's the compassion of friendship as well. There's the compassion of friendship as well. You know, there, the, there's a great verse in our Bible. It's Proverbs 17, 17. It just says this. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Can I tell you, the, the, can I, can I tell you one reason why people don't feel like they have friends anymore? Because the world has taught you and I that we can just, we can just use friends like, like tissues. I mean, we, we use them when they're beneficial to us, and when we don't want them anymore, we just discard them. Or we have, we have somebody who we think is a, is a, who, who, who we 
call a friend and yet they do something that we don't like and we just discard them and we get rid of them and we treat friends, I mean, we treat friendships like they're a dime a dozen. But my Bible says this, that a friend loveth at all times, at all times. Now what that means to me is this, what, that mean, what, the, what the Bible teaches me about that is this, is that if, if at any point in time I said somebody was my friend and now they are not my friend, then they never were my friend to begin with in the first place. Because I let something get in my way, I let something happen that now I no longer consider that person my friend. A friend love with that all times. That means friendship has to be born with compassion. Why is it so many times you and I as God's people, we forget, we want everybody to recognize that we're imperfect people. We want, but we don't want to recognize that everybody else is imperfect as well. Can I just be honest with you? Here's, here's, <laughs> there, there, if, if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, there are going to be points in time in that relationship where that relationship will be tested. So there's going to be an issue pop up. There's going to be a problem arise. There's going, to be, there's, going to be, there's going to be something that's going to creep in that's going to cause an issue in that relationship. And if you at that point in time decide to tuck, tail, and run or give up or, or let your anger overwhelm you or your bitterness overwhelm you or, your, heart, or, your, or your, 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 your hard heart overwhelm you and you're going to turn your back on that friend, then hear me clearly. You never were a friend in the first place. I'm going to tell you something. We live in a day and age where false friendships are the reality of the day and not the exception of the day. Oh, yes. Uh, listen, we love, we love people as long as they do what we want, go where we want, say what we want. I mean, as, long as, they, as long as they fit into our mold of everything we think they ought to be, then we'll love them. But if they step outside of that, we want nothing to do with them. You know, <laughs> I ain't talking bad enough about nobody, but you know it's it's like I, I understand that relationships they 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 come and get, they, they they have points where there's more involvement than at other times. But it's almost like this, and I'm not listen. I hope you're not like this, but I know people that will be your friend as long as you attend their church. But if you move to another church, well now that person who said they loved you, that person who said they're gonna pray for you, that person who oh, and now they want to have nothing to do with you. Well, don't tell me you were my friend because you weren't my friend. I mean, now hear me. There have been people who are my friends who because of decisions that have been made, it means that relationship can no longer, no longer be what it was. But for my part, I want to be the kind of person, if I got a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning from a person I said was my friend, I'd do anything in the world I could for them because they're my friend. And I'm to love them at all times. See, friendship has to have compassion. There has to be a willingness to love them in spite of their imperfections. There has to be a willingness to care for them in spite of the fact they're not going to do everything. They're not going to dot all your I's and cross all your T's. There has to be a willingness to, to look past the personality differences and, and all the things because they're your friend. You know, somebody once told me this, and it's made, it's made a lot of sense to me about churches. They said this if you're only ever willing to pastor a person, pastor a church of people who are just like you, think like you, walk like you, and act like you, you're always going to pastor a very small church because there's nobody who's just like you except for you. And Frank, can I just say, when it comes to real friendship, there ought to be compassion. Hey, there ought to, listen, there ought to, if, if, if you say somebody's your friend and you know that person is going through something, 
and you can't pick up a phone, send a text, make a phone call to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, then don't call them your friend because they ain't. They may be an acquaintance you have. They may be somebody you know. But if there's not compassion, there's no friendship. You know, if, that, if, if, you, if you got somebody who you, call, who, who, who you would call a friend and that person could step out of line even, even the most little bit, and you discard that friendship, walk away, turn your back, you know, have nothing to do with them, don't call yourself a friend because you're not a friend. Because a friend loveth at all times, at all times. See, there's, there's the commonality of friendship. That's the gospel. There's the compassion of friendship. But can I just say this? And if there was ever a day we have lost sight of this, let's talk about the confrontation of friendship. The confrontation of friendship. Here's a, here's a great verse in our Bible. I've quoted it to you before, but here's a good verse. It says this in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That tells me in that verse, there are going to be times in my friendships that I may need to confront somebody I call my friend. That there are times in this, in this, in this, in this world that, I, that, that, that the people I, I, I love and care about, the people who we have a common ground together around the gospel, that I may need to step in and confront them because they're my friend. Because they're my friend. Now hear me, that flies in the face of our day where our day has said this. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy, just go be happy. Live, live any way you want. Go wherever you want. Make any decision you want. Hey, as long as you're happy, friend, they, I think the, the, great, the great mantra of our day is this. Just follow your heart. Let me just tell you something. Disney got that way wrong, friend. Because my Bible says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Why in the world would we want to follow our heart? I mean, my heart's going to lead me into heartache and disaster and trouble. Why would I want to follow my heart? It's wicked. Wicked. I have a preacher who says like that. Preacher for you. Wicked. <laughs> it's wicked. Why in the world would I want to follow my heart? But can I ask you this? Why in the world would we, would we want to encourage any of our good, godly friends to follow their heart as well? I mean... If I love somebody, sometimes hurting them is to try to, is to, try to help them. If I, if, I had a, if, I had, if I needed surgery, let's just say, I mean, let's just, let's just say I tore my rotator cuff. I need a surgery. I'm going to go to that surgeon. And he's going to say this. We're going to have to cut you open. But don't worry. You ain't going to feel a thing. Don't, you, it won't, you won't, you, listen, you'll be, it, it's, it's fine. It's not going to bother you at all. A surgeon would never lie to you like that. They're going to tell you, we're going to cut you open. It's going to be painful. And there's going to be, things, going to be some things about it that hurt. But in the end, you're going to feel better. He understands that to help you, he may have to hurt you. And Frank, why in the world have we got it, have we got it so messed up, even inside of our Christian circles, where we have convinced ourselves that it's okay, that, that, that we don't want to hurt anybody, 
So we don't want to try to help them. Yes, we see what they're doing is wrong. Yes, we see the choices they are making is wrong. Yes, we see the end result of all that's going to be heartache and pain. They're going to lose their joy, their salvation. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to lose all the, all, all, the, all the great benefits of having God's blessings in your life. They're going to lose it all. But I don't want to hurt them. So we don't say anything. Or heaven help us. We like stuff. We like their. We we put hit the like button on their sin on social media. What are we doing, friend? If they were my friend, wouldn't I want to love them enough to say, "Hey, can I tell you something? I love you. I'm always here for you. But I love you enough to tell you that's wrong. I love you enough to tell you that 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 the Bible makes it very clear. And you're a Christian. You say you're a Christian. You say you've been saved. The Bible makes it clear." That what you're doing is disobedient to God. And the only end result of that, if you choose to live that way, is heartache. Because God's not going to let, let his children run around in sin without punishing them. You would do that to your children, would you? I mean, what kind of parent would I be if I let my son run around and break stuff at the church and, and you know, and, and be disrespectful to his teachers and... and keep his room dirty and keep his room dirty and keep his room dirty and all that stuff. What kind of parent would I be if I let that happen? I wouldn't be much of a parent, would I? I probably wouldn't love them. You could probably make the argument, I don't love my kids. Well, if we're like that with our kids, what makes you think that God's not like that with his children? That he's going to let his children run around in whatever kind of sinful life they want to live in without there being a, a consequence to that? So why in the world would I not want to love my friend enough to say, hey, I love you. It's because I love you. I'm going to tell you this. Now, you may never want to talk to me again. You may be mad at me, but hear me. If you never want to talk to me again, just know I'm always here for you. If you need me, call me. But I love you enough to know I want to tell you this is wrong. See, true friends, it seems, has got confrontations attached to it. Sometimes, can I tell you, I thank God. I thank God for the men God put in my life who at times in my life, when I had was when I was maybe getting burnt out or going a wrong direction, they loved me enough that they put our friendship on the line to tell me with the truth. It helped me. Now in that moment, can I be honest with you? I wasn't really thankful in that moment. But I can sit down after all that got after we're all through all that, and I'm down the road a little ways. And I thank God that somebody was willing to hurt me, to try to help me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Can I tell you, we have got a messed up idea of what real friendship looks like in this day and age. We, we, we can't be friends with everybody. Now, I can be friendly, and I can have a lot of acquaintances, but I can't just be friends with everybody. But when I do have a friendship, how rare they are, there better be compassion and there better be confrontation to have a biblical friendship. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around.